0: Matthew chapter 3 verse 10. Matthew 3 10. Ruthie's going to be reading to us this morning and then praying for me as I come to preach in just a moment. Matthew chapter 3 verse 10. All right, Ruthie.
1: Good morning, church. It is so good to be back with y'all. You know, last Sunday I I went and heard my grandson who preaches now and he did his first Lord's Supper. You know, and I'm sitting there saying to myself, okay, you got to you got to detach here or you're going to be a little puddle in the floor and everybody's going to wonder why this is happening. And what a blessing it was. But I missed you last week. I hope you missed me. Please stand for the reading of God's beautiful, beautiful word. It's quiet in here today. Is everything okay? <laughs> oh, not there yet. Sorry. <laughs> Matthew, chapter 3, beginning with verse 10. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Even now, these are the words of John the Baptist. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Would you pray with me, please? Father dear, how precious it is to be in your place. The worship with these, our community of believers. Lord, let there be no empty chair at your table because of anything that I have done or said mm-hmm. Amen. or not done or not said that should have been. We just worship you, praise you, and let we may we, Lord, be an entrance ramp for those that seek our loving God, for you, our compassionate, forgiving Savior. And Lord, we don't ever for- want to forget your sacrifice on the cross, your giving of yourself willingly, with love for us. Thank you for the cross. And we ask so much for ourselves, Lord, that sometimes we just forget that we're here to praise you and it's all about you. May it be so, Lord. We love you. In your holy, beloved, precious name I pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Dolly. I love you, sweetie. I love you, dear. My baby. Matthew chapter 3, verse 10. John the Baptist has arrived. It's a bad time. The nation is about to be judged. And here's John the Baptist out in the river preaching. And everybody in the area is there. All of Jerusalem, the whole city of Jerusalem came to him preach. The surrounding county, they've come to him preach. Thousands of people have come to him preach. These are people who think they're doing pretty well for the Lord. They feel pretty confident about themselves. And here's John's message. Look at verse 10 again. Matthew 3.10. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore... Every tree that does not bear good fruit is being cut down and thrown into the fire. John was screaming bloody murder. He's the one crying in the wilderness. He's trying to get the people to leave their false confidence. God's dividing the crowd, the good from the bad. And it's not too late. Now, it's going to be too late. Now, Rome will destroy Jerusalem. The nation of Israel, essentially, in 45 years from this day, they were using in John's life. 45 years, 45 years ago would be 1979. How many of you were alive in 1979? Now look around. Look around. See, there are a lot of people. There are a lot of keep them up. Keep them up. I'm making a point. Listen. See, there are a lot of people hearing John preach this who did not believe him. And now you can put your hands down. And that they lived long enough to see the fulfillment for nationally. And he's saying, basically, not only is he speaking to the nation, they're overconfident, believing they have a special side, uh, inside track on God's mercy. He says that's true of individuals, too. That there are some of you in the crowd. He's saying there are some of you in the crowd. You think you're okay. You think you're fine. But even for you individually, the act is ready to strike. The problem in Israel, now listen to me, stay with me now. We we touched on this last week, we're going to carry it even further. The problem in Israel was they felt that their future was positive because their past had been positive. Now stay with me. They thought because of Abraham They were special people. They thought because they had been circumcised. They thought because they took the Passover every year. Because they would go to temple. Because what what they had done in the past, they're standing before John and John is saying to them, now listen to me, your past isn't what matters. What matters is what fruit are you producing right now? Now, I told you last Sunday, I won't say it again. One of the key moments in my ministry was when I preached through the book of Hebrews. I've been in the ministry 56 years. In those 56 years, I preached through about 52 or 53% of the Bible. And one of the books that I preached through, verse by verse, word for word, that I preached through was the book of Hebrews. And the most surprising things to me, and I mentioned this yesterday, but I'm going to amplify it a little bit in light of this message today. The most amazing thing to me about the book of Hebrews was That the writer of Hebrews tells those Jewish listeners that their past has nothing to do with their current position. The whole purpose of the book of Hebrews and what John was trying to get people to understand is what matters is not your past, not what happened to you before, not who your ancestors were, what, ha- what matters is what's happening in your life right now. Can you draw a circle around your feet and say that you have within the last hour or two given evidence that you are truly saved? In the song service, was there truly an urge in your heart to love Jesus? When you're hearing that I'm preaching from the Word, did it matter to you that we're opening the Bible right now? Not that you once love it, but now today. You sang amazing grace, how sweet the sound. You've sung it a hundred times in your lifetime. Did it mean something today? That's what John is saying. He's saying the axe is ready to be put at the root of the tree. But in the meantime, the Lord is looking for people whose lives are fruitful, who are continuing to repent. When you sinned this week, did you cry out to the Lord and say you were sorry? Right now, as you think of someone you had a chance to share the gospel with right now, are you repenting and saying, I'm sorry, Lord, I should have done that. Repentance is ongoing, constant, never changing. You always You always know, one of the things you always know as a Christian, that there is more for you than you have now. Until you go to heaven, you can always walk closer closer to Jesus than you ever have before. If you never remember a time when you were closer to the Lord than you are now, there's a sin in your life somewhere. The trajectory of the Christian life is up. Today. Right now, I draw a circle around my feet, and in this day, I'm going to prove to myself and give fruit unto the Lord to show that I know I'm walking with Him, that I love Him. I'm going to confess my sins. And I've told you, I have never one time in my life had a time of repentance, not one time where when I was down on my face before God, trying to think of every sin that I can think I've committed. Sins of omission that I didn't do as well as sins I did do. Never yet have I gotten up, but that before I got to the doorknob and touched it, I could think of another sin. We never get there. We never get perfect. We never reach the highest level of our profession this side of heaven. And what John was saying to them is, right now, Today, are you producing fruit? It doesn't matter that you went to synagogue. It doesn't matter you went to the temple. It doesn't matter that you are a Jew. It doesn't matter that you're a Baptist. What matters is right now. Can you say that you know that right now the Lord is doing something in your life? I'm not saying that you're perfect. No, we're not saying sinless perfection. There's no such thing. I'm just saying that a Christian who is truly walking in the Spirit and the power of the Lord always knows there's more than they currently have. They go higher than they currently are. They can always do more than they're currently doing. Always. That's what John was trying to get them to say. It matters on what you're doing right now. All right. Back to our text. Now we're ready for verse 11. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. Now, folks, stay with me. Here we go. Stay with me. You are listening to the words. Of the second greatest man who ever lived, Jesus said. I was named for this man, John the Baptist. I was named for him. Our master said that John the Baptist was the second greatest man who ever lived. He's the most famous and greatest preacher that Israel had had in over 400 years. He's standing with thousands of people all around him. And he says, yes, I baptize you with water, but there's somebody coming. I'm not even worthy to loose his sandals. That's so interesting to me. The very man that God picked to lay his hands on the head of Jesus and immerse him in water. The very hands that God picked. The man whom God picked said, I am not worthy to do this. Okay, I'm going to tell you a joke. Why did I just tell you I'm going to tell you a joke? You need to laugh. Whether it's funny or not, you need to laugh. You all are really tense today, okay? I need you, I need you to come back with me. Come, come back, all right? I'm thinking about writing a book titled Humility and the Ten Ways I Achieved It. Thank you. Your laughter actually sounded genuine. That's really good. I appreciate that. What we're seeing in John the Baptist is true humility. I want you to notice about this man. Now learn something about what true humility is. Some people think that humility is a matter of posture. You walk around kind of slumped over, kind of hunkered down. You got this sullen, defeated look on your face. Some people think humility... Now listen to me. Stay with me. Some people think humility is low self-esteem. That somehow you get extra brownie points with God if you run yourself down all the time. That if somebody says something kind to you, you, know, you don't say thank you, you. You slough it off. You, you always have some answer. Oh, but, oh, no, not really. Something like that. Some people really believe that's humility. That Believing that they're worthless. That they, they can't do anything that matters. That they refuse to accept compliments... That is not true. Now, if you want to learn what true humility is, you look at the second greatest man who ever lived. He rightly assessed how to view himself. He knew what he was gifted to do. And he did it with all of his might. He knew God had called him, but still he knew what he was to do. And so he took his gift and he did it and he knew he was good at it. And so he walked down into that river. And with thousands of people around him, he preached. And he preached hard. But when he went outside his realm of preaching, his great strength, when when you, when you got away from what his strength was, he knew that he could not do other things. And so in humility, he says, I'm not worthy to pick up this guy's sandals and walk with him. Notice this. Here's a man as bold as a lion... In the water, preaching his strength, giving it all he's got. He's not out there saying, oh, poor me, I'm not a good preacher. He's giving it all he's got. But then he takes one step over and says, but there's somebody else coming who's greater than I am. Here is true humility. True humility is knowing what you do really well. All of you in this room, you are graced. A gift. It might be art. I'm gonna ask you again, you that are artists, do you do at least one of every ten pieces of art you do for Jesus? Do you do something to honor Him? Some of you are good writers. Do you maybe one-tenth of the stuff you write, is it about Jesus? You're on social media using your gift to promote the Lord Jesus. Maybe it's preaching, maybe it's singing. Maybe it's serving. You need to find your strength, whatever your strength is, whatever you are good at. And you do it with all of your might because God gave it to you. That's the true humility. The true humility is not pretending you don't have some great gift. The true humility is you have this tremendous gift that God gave you to do. And you do it, and you always give Him the honor. You always give Him the glory. You always say, it is the Lord that does it, but I know I am good at this, and I'm going to do it. My wife, Ruthie, her gift is giving. She's the most giving person I've ever known. And somewhere along the way, I decided that my gift of preaching and teaching, she has followed me all through the years, all these 52 years, She's gone with me and served with me and helped me and encouraged me. And somewhere along the way, I decided her gift is as important as my gift. And so I began to support her and encourage her in her giving. Now, I did say to Ruthie, there's only one qualifier in my supporting of your giving gift. And that is I have the right to whine and complain. (laughs) I do it well, don't I, Ruthie? Come on, you're sweet, you're sweet, yeah, I do. And she always says, the louder I complain, the more she knows she's going to get to do it. I, I quit, but, but years ago, I'm serious, I came to the conclusion, her gift, she has just as much a gift as mine, and she wants to give lots to, and, and I'm just saying, oh, you know, and I'm complaining and grumbling, but she knows she's going to do it because that's her gift, and I made a decision years ago, I was going to encourage her in that. My gift is teaching and preaching, that's what I do. Ruthie says she'll know that I'm about to die When a Sunday morning comes around, I don't want to go preach somewhere. This is my life. This is who I am. This is how I define my existence. But I don't have faith. The gift of faith. And I don't have the gift of mercy. And I don't have the gift of giving. But true humility is when I stand before you and say, yes, I know I can teach and I know I can preach. There's no need to lie and say, no, I'm a terrible speaker. I'm terrible. No, I can stand before you and I can say, I can teach and I can preach. But I also just as sincerely say with John, there's one. There's one who gave me this ministry whose shoes I'm not even worthy to carry. There's one who gave this to me? It is a gift. It's not something I conjured up. I preached my first sermon when I was 15 years old. And people came and filled an altar to pray. I was 15 years old. The sermon was on the difference between love and lust. I didn't know much about love, but I was mastering lust. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. 15 years old. My second sermon. Second sermon, how at age 15, how to raise godly children. <laughs> and people would come and fill the altar and pray. I just didn't know they were praying for me, the stupid kid. Lord, you've got to help this kid. He doesn't know what's going on. But I'm just saying, it, it, it was a gift. It had nothing to do with me. When something I conjured up, and so I relate to John the Baptist, thousands of people all around He's going to preach, man. God called him to preach. But when he he takes one step over, he says, but wait a minute. Well, it's not about me. He must increase, but I must decrease. He was fiery. He was in your face. But in the main moment when all of the glory could have been his, when, when all the light was on him and he could have said, let's go. Let's form an army and let's fight against Rome. He said, no. There's one I serve. He is the great one. He is the one. Above us all, there is one in my strength. I say he gave it to me. It is him. And in all these things that I am weak, he is not weak. He is strong in everything. So learn a lesson here, folks. Learn a lesson. What you do well. Do it. Give yourself to it. God made you. The way you are. If you can play an instrument, play it. If you can sing, sing. If you're an artist, draw, paint. If you're a writer, write. Do what God gifted you to do. And don't look over your shoulder to the left or right. But in the moment when there's praise and glory and honor, make sure you find some way to make sure that people understand that it was a gift. It was something the Lord gave you. And then in other areas of your life, you do the best you can always knowing there is one who is the greatest of all. One above us in everything that we do. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's, good to be, it's worth coming to church for that, wasn't it? Amen. Let's go back to verse 11. As for me, see, I was even clapping for myself. Okay. Back to verse 11. You who do not know me, I'm kidding when I say that. People who know me know I'm kidding. I'm, I don't clap for myself. Verse 11. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. Now watch this. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The Holy Spirit and fire. Fire. John was saying that this thing I'm doing in this river, dunking people underwater, immersing them, is just a symbol. There's nothing sacred or there's nothing saving. Let me use that word. There's nothing redemptive or saving about immersion. No matter who is immersed, no matter who's doing the immersing, even if it's John the Baptist. Blessed is the person who understands the difference between the symbol and the thing that's symbolized. Blessed is the person who comes to church and knows that coming to church doesn't really do anything for you. It's, it's, there's nothing in and of itself that's, that's extra sacred. It is what you allow God to do to you while you are here. It is not your baptism that saves you. It was just a symbol of the fact that you were giving yourself to one who died on a cross, was buried, and rose from the dead. The baptism is just a symbol. And so John is out here. He's trying to get people to see. All right. Now, when you come out here and I dunk you under the water, that doesn't mean you're okay. He's saying, I'm going to dunk you if you repent, if you're willing to turn from your sins and look the other way. But he said, but my baptism here, always remember, is just a symbol, just a picture of a baptism that this mighty one I talked about, that I'm not even worthy to hold his sandals, when he comes He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And don't miss this. The Father, the first person of the Trinity, the Father gave us Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, both of them equally God, having different roles that they perform, God being so complex and so huge, breaking down into His various persons so that we might understand Him better and grasp His different things. The Father... Gave us Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, who in turn said he was going to give us the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit, he was saying, when you come to me, Jesus is saying, when you come to me, I am not done with you. I'm going to put the Holy Spirit in you, just as much God as Jesus was God. I'm going to put the Holy Spirit in you. And the Holy Spirit is going to continue to change you, make you different, make you better, so that every day, every day, you'll know something is happening in me. There's a renewed love for Jesus. There's a renewed love for the church. There's a new desire to go be with God's people. There's something every day. I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to baptize you. And John said it's a baptism like his baptism, which means you're going all the way under. You and I, we don't want a little sprinkling of the Holy Spirit on us. We don't want the Holy Spirit put on us a dab at a time. We want to be immersed. That's what the word baptism means. It means immersion. We want to be immersed in him. Now, one of the great dangers of the Christian life is that you get up in the morning and you do your private time and you end your private time and the day goes on and you're just trying to make it to the end of the day. Oh, God, help me. Oh, Lord, don't let me cuss today. Lord, help me do something. Don't let me cheat. Don't let me lie. Don't let me steal. Lord, please don't let me lust. We're just barely making it. We pray to God in the morning. Oh, God, help us, help us, help us, help us. Folks, that is not a baptism. That is a sprinkling. Let me tell you what a baptism is. A baptism is when you get up in the morning and you spend your private time with God. And it is so precious and so dear that all day long you stay close. You're in Him, He is in you. All day, an immersion of fire and the Holy Spirit fire all day Paul said in the book of Ephesians that we live in heavenly places, we're seated in heavenly places and I have through the years have encouraged people when they're at home to carry a folding chair around the house with them just walk through the house with a folding chair and every once in a while just sit down to remind them that you are seated in the heavenly place. You live there. That's your home. It's continual. This is what John was saying. John was saying, I'm going to baptize you with water and you're going to walk away. And you walk away from this because it's just a symbol. But he said, but it's a picture not of this, it is a picture of a baptism, an immersion. By the Holy Spirit. And fire. All day long. All day long you and Jesus. All day long your sins being called to your remembrance. All day long you are repenting. Just as fire purifies gold. By burning away the dross. All day long. You live under the baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire. You're in His presence, and God is calling to your mind your sins. God is calling to your mind your failures. God is calling to your mind to draw you closer to Himself. Christianity has always been assumed to be a religion of a heart on fire. John Wesley said, when I preach, I set myself on fire, and people come watch me burn. That's our faith. A constant burning. A way of anything in us that keeps us from all that we're supposed to be. Always a baptism in us of the Holy Spirit and a fire. You have it on your prayer cards for your pastor's search team. It says on Sunday, praying for the search team, pray for deep spiritual cleansing. And fullness of the Holy Spirit for each team member. That's it. And then it says on the congregational side. Pray for a powerful move of congregational cleansing. That's it. That's what it means to be a Christian. All day long you're living in His presence. You're at the stoplight and your mind just starts to float upward. And you're praying and asking Him to draw you as close to Him, to to, to bring you as close to Him as is possible. You're asking Him to forgive you. Lord, did I say something in that last conversation I shouldn't have said? Lord, was there a chance to witness for you? And I didn't do it. You're constantly repenting. You never stop repenting. You never stop finding more. Let me speak for us. Now listen, let me speak for you. I'm almost done, but now let me speak for all of us. Let my voice be the voice of all of us. Let me pray the prayer that I think all of us want to pray. Lord Jesus, I want to be white hot for you. To be cold in the presence of God has to be a sin. To come into the presence of God with a yawn has to be a sin. Ours is a faith of fire of a Holy Spirit baptism and immersion all day long, every day, being burned clean, being set on fire for Him, to live my whole life for Him, to burn out in the end. When it's all done, the candle will be totally burned out because the fire has burned all the way through. That's what John was saying. John was saying, all you folks coming down here, you're looking to the past. Quit looking to the past right now, today. Are you bearing fruit? Are you living for God right now, this moment? And I'm going to baptize you if you'll repent of sin. You're going to be born again, we would say in our vernacular. If you want your life to be changed, if you're truly sorry for your sin, I'm going to put you underwater to picture the baptism that you are giving your life totally to the Lord. But then when I get up, and you, when I get you up and you walk out of here, You're going to remember, you're going to leave your water baptism behind. But for the rest of your life, that one that I'm not worthy to take his shoes and hold him and carry him, that one is going to want to baptize you over and over and over and over every day with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's what John was saying. Okay, I'm done. Put your notes away. Put all your notes away. Put your hands, put your face in your hands if you pray that way. However you're used to praying, put everything away. And go to your comfortable position of prayer. Put everything away and go to your spot of prayer. Now, while Christians are praying, Christians, and listen to me. I want you to pray now, Lord. Lord, immerse me in the Holy Spirit and fire. Immerse me in the Holy Spirit and fire. Spirit, fire, baptism. A.C. Gabelian, the old pastor, would call it. Spirit, fire, baptism, you call it. Amen. I love that. Pray, God, God, baptize me. Immerse me. Fill me up. Inside, outside, Holy Spirit, make me what you want me to be. Burn away my sin and help me to burn out for you. Get all the way to the fire, 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 pray. Now, Christians, you keep praying. You keep praying about yourself. Now, let me speak to the unbelievers that are here. If you do not know Jesus as your Savior, if you've never repented of your sin, you've never turned From a life, as I preached last Sunday, remember that sermon, that thought, to repent means you turn around and go the opposite direction. Remember that thought, you can't go to heaven while walking on the road to hell. That's a good thought. If you're ready to turn from the road that you're on, trying to save yourself, trying to do everything good in your own, trying to get to heaven, you're going the wrong way, are you ready to turn around and say, okay, I'm going to do what John said. I'm going to confess that I'm a sinner. I'm going to admit it. I'm going to come before God and ask Him to forgive me. If that's what you want to do this morning, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. The prayer doesn't save you, but it can help you focus your thoughts. And that can save you. So if this prayer will help you to pray what you want to pray right now, I'm going to ask you to repeat it silently after me as I pray it out loud phrase by phrase. Here it is. Dear Jesus, I am sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. Come, live in my heart. I receive you as the master of my life. Amen.